I think that's my cue. Good evening, everybody. Welcome to worship tonight. So good to have you. My name is Aaron Rosenau, one of the pastors here at Faith. Uh, I have to say that, especially today, it's been a little while, hasn't it? I don't think I've, if you've been at Celebration every single week, it probably has been a little bit while, a little while since I saw you. Um, I was at Faith over at our Faith Ministry Center preaching for a couple weeks in a row. I was at Camp Luther for a week. I was back at Faith again. I was on vacation back again. So um, yeah, if we haven't met in a while, uh, good to see you again. Good to have you tonight. We're uh, in the summer season. We're continuing a series of sermons called Rethink. We're talking about the lies that we believe and rethinking those lies and actually believing what the Bible tells us instead of what the world tells us or what we tell ourselves that is contrary to the truth of God. So we're continuing that today. It's also Communion Sunday. So uh, this weekend we're celebrating the Lord's Supper and we'll invite you a little bit later to come up. What we believe about communion is that we are very much sinners in need of God's grace and he gives us that grace in the very bread and the wine as he gives us the body and blood of Christ for our forgiveness. We call that real presence. And uh, that's your confession too. And what you believe about the Lord's Supper, we invite you to join us as we celebrate communion a little bit later as sinners joined together by Christ and redeemed and rescued in his blood. Um, a couple other things. This is the third weekend of the month. Third weekend of the month, we like to give away a portion of what comes into us uh, as for our offering and uh, what we call our loose plate offering. So if it's not exactly directed to faith or it's not a check written to faith or an envelope, we're just going to assume that you would like us to give that away. And we give that away this weekend to an organization called PLI. PLI is an organization that trains up pastors and other church leaders all over the world for the mission of God. And uh, in Ethiopia, for instance, training up 10,000 pastors and lay leaders in that country alone, and just really on fire organizations. So we're giving some of our um, offerings today to, uh, to PLI. Uh, also, this is the Really, this weekend, last chance to sign up for Vacation Bible School, which is coming up the first week of August. It's actually starting on July 31st through August 4th. So if you're able to join us for VBS or your kids, your grandkids, your neighbor's kids, your co-worker's kids, whoever you'd like to bring to be part of our Vacation Bible School experience, I uh, encourage you to sign up for that. And then um, also tomorrow evening, Sunday evening, uh, Faith has rented out Mead Pool in Appleton. 
So 7 o'clock to 9 o'clock p.m. tomorrow evening, Sunday evening, join us at Mead Pool. Uh, you can bring your friends too. It's not just exclusive to faith members, but we are renting it out. So just you know, bring your friends, neighbors, uh, whoever you'd like to just join us and celebrate uh, summer and enjoy some time cooling off in the pool. I think that's all the announcements I have for today. I'm going to hand over to Liza and the band, and we're going to worship the Lord, open up the heavens, and invite you to stand up as we sing together. Truth. 
let us draw near with a true heart and come to this miracle worker, promise keeper, our light in the darkness to confess our sins. Our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. I said I will confess my transgressions unto the Lord. Let us then confess our sins to God our Father. Most merciful God, we confess that we are by nature sinful and unclean. We have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We justly deserve your present and eternal punishment. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us. Forgive us, renew us, and lead us so that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your holy name. Amen. It sounds harsh, but it, because of our sin, we should be completely kicked out from God's presence, from his love, from his life, from everything, because God is life itself, and when we choose sin, we choose to turn away from that life. And yet God is so amazingly merciful and gracious, he does not treat us like our sins deserve, nor repay us according to our iniquities, as Psalm 103 says. Instead, God shows extravagant love, a love that never ends, it abounds and overflows from him. It's why he sent his son, Jesus. Christ died for you, that you would be forgiven of every fault, every sin, every bit of guilt, every amount of shame. He set you free from that. It's my privilege as one of your pastors to announce that grace to you again, to assure you that you're forgiven in Jesus, for the sake of Christ, amen. Please be seated as we sing to the Lord. Oh, 
Our sovereign God, we thank you that not even for a single moment will you forsake us because in Christ we are your very own, redeemed, made new, set free. In the middle of it all, in the middle of our hurt even, in the middle of our cries and every prayer, you are there. Thank you. God, now we, t- we pray that what, by your Holy Spirit you would open up the scriptures which we are about to hear. Help us to hear this, the words well. Let them sink into our souls, not just through our ears and into our minds, but deep into our souls, that we would hear it, trust it, believe it, and put it into practice. Because your words are truth. So Lord, we Pray in the name of Jesus, amen. All right, our first reading today is from the first letter of Paul to the church of Corinth, chapter 12, what we know as 1 Corinthians, chapter 12. Paul says, the body is a unit, though it is made up of many parts. And though all its parts are many, they form one body. So it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, slave or free, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. Now the body is not made up of one part, but of many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason cease to be part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason cease to be part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has arranged the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty while our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has combined the members of the body and has given greater honor to the parts that lacked it so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. And in the church, God has appointed, first of all, apostles, second, prophets, third, teachers, then workers of miracles, and also those having gifts of healing, those able to help others, those with gifts of administration, those speaking in different kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all have gifts of healing? Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? 
but eagerly desire the greater gifts. And now, now I will show you the most excellent way. Our second reading is from the book of Ephesians, Paul's letter to the church of Ephesus, chapter five. Paul says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated his own body, but he feeds and cares for it, just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a very profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. This is the word of God. Amen. Well, I mentioned at the beginning of worship that we're continuing our summer sermon series called Rethink. All about the lies that we believe. All right, let's, let's test that now. Is that better? All right, no ringing. For those of you who are worshiping online with us today, our apologies, we just have a sudden ringing and even muting everything in the house did not stop it. So we had to shut down our entire sound system and reboot it again, and now it's better. So what do you say, I restart? I was only like 30 seconds in anyway, right? Okay, so I mentioned at the beginning of worship, we're continuing our sermon series, Rethink, 
all about the lies that we believe, right? We wanna rethink what we hear from the world, what we tell ourselves, what is really not true. We wanna listen to the word of God and, uh, and believe what God says. And last week and this week specifically, we're talking about marital lies, marital lies. So Bryce, can you give me a little bit more? Cause I feel like I'm yelling. So there's, a, there's a, an old joke that says there are three rings in marriage. The engagement ring, the wedding ring, and the suffer ring. Oh yeah, I know. It, all a lie, totally, I understand. Okay, is that better? We'll, we'll see. Okay. I know, you see, you tell bad joke and things just go bad. Okay. But I actually think this is what a lot of people think about marriage. This is what it's about. It's the suffering. It's that, and I think it might be part of the decline in marriage today. And I don't mean decline in each marriage, but there are fewer and fewer people who are getting married these days. Even though the world population is higher, there are fewer people getting married or people are waiting longer to get married. Part of this negative view of marriage, I think, is, um, is that we think that it's all going to be bad, but that's not God's design for marriage. God intends marriage to be a blessing to a husband and a wife. It should be a good thing. Even though last week we did talk about how uh, marriage is hard work from two people. Right? You know the old expression, it takes two to tango. It means it takes two people to contribute to problems. It takes two people to contribute to solutions. It takes two people to be a blessing to one another in marriage for it to be great. But let me pause for a second because some of you are not married. Some of you are too young and marriage is way far off in your future. Some of you are single. Some of you are divorced. Some of you are widowed. Some of you have been married a long time, much longer than I have. And you're thinking, what does this young guy have to say to me about marriage? I think we've been, we've sort of gotten into a groove long enough that nothing's gonna change. So why even listen today? Don't tune out. Wherever you are in your relationship, in marriage or not marriage, um, just listen up because what we learn today really has uh, application to every relationship that we have. Not just husbands and wives, but parents and children and neighbors and coworkers and friends and classmates and you name it. We can learn something for every one of our relationships as God gives us instruction about marriage also. So here's the lie that we're working on today. Actually, two lies. Number one, my spouse should be more like me. Number two, I should not have to change to make our marriage better. Okay, my spouse should be more like me 
And I should not have to change to make our marriage better, which I think the, the latter part of that is sort of this mentality of you should accept, accept me exactly as I am. So let's, let's look at the first lie. My spouse should be more like me. Years ago, I was doing premarital counseling for a young couple, which I do anytime I do a wedding, I get together with a couple. We talk about God's design for marriage. We talk about their relationship. We use certain tools to get them talking about their personalities and how those mix or clash. And, and uh, one of the things that I would do with couples during our sessions is talk about assertiveness, like lovingly sharing with your spouse what you need and even if that means asking them to do something different. So we're talking about assertiveness. And on the flip side of that is actively listening to each other without judgment and without defensiveness. So assertiveness and active listening. So we'll do this exercise with this couple. And I asked them to you know, list one thing you need a little bit more of from your spouse. And this young lady said, that she wanted her soon-to-be husband, she wished that he would just get worked up about something. And I thought this was a very interesting uh, desire from her. You wanted him to get worked up about something. What she meant by that was he was very even-keeled, like all the time. He never got really mad about anything. He never got really excited about anything. His, his, he, uh, his emotional scale, if you went from a scale of 1 to 10, his emotions were somewhere like 4.8 to 5.2. Like, right, it's like just really flat. Uh, where hers are from like negative 1 to 12, right? She was just like really wild on the scale. And she wanted him to be more like her so that when she got really worked up, he would show that he cared by being really worked up about it. So she was really bothered that he was not like her. Really, she wanted her husband to deal with things in the way that she dealt with them, with all the emotional investment. But that's not how her husband operates. His personality isn't one to show strong emotions. He's just, like I said, even keeled. Now, I think this is related to what Paul's talking about in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We're talking about the body of Christ in that chapter. The body is not made up of one part, but of many. Now, Paul's not talking about marriage here, but it certainly applies to marriage also because husband and wife are said to be one flesh, one body. When they're married together, there's a spiritual thing that happens where husbands and wives are joined together to be one flesh. And in that one body, you're still not just one individual person, you're two people. There's a mystery in how this happens where you're one but also separate. And so Paul says, the eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you, as if to say to your spouse, I don't need your way of doing things. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. No, on the contrary, he says, God arranges each part just as he sees fit. That it means in marriage too. And sometimes that means opposites truly attract. 
Sometimes you have one spouse who loves being around people and the other spouse loves me time and being away from people, right? You have one spouse who is a planner and the other one who loves living spontaneously, living in the moment. And you have two spouses who are very opposite in these ways coming together and they've made this marriage. And when things are really hard, sometimes they wonder, why are we together? We just don't operate the same. Now, in my case, I have a, a lovely wife, Carolyn, who has been my wife for almost 26 years. Um, let you in on a little secret. I tend to be a big picture thinker. I tend to see things and how they all fit together. But I can get lost in the details, which means I don't really think about the details all the time. My wife, Carolyn, on the other hand, is a detail master. She plans everything. She is the one who remembers to send a birthday card to my dad because she knows his birthday is five days away. She gets the card out. Me, I think, oh, snap, it's Christmas Eve. I probably should think about presents, right? She's planned that for three months already and she knows what, what we're doing for Christmas. She has this... Um, trip plan. We do this every summer. So next week we're going to be planning, uh, we're going to be packing up and getting ready to go on a week-long camping trip. And uh, I think that the day we leave, I'll pack all of my stuff. She has already lists of things to get packed. She's already starting to put things aside, right? She's the planner. She's the detailer. Now, each one of us could gripe about the other. She could gripe about me not looking at details. I could gripe about her, how she keeps, you know, getting on me to think about, you know, getting things ready. We could look at each other and bemoan the fact that we do things differently or we could praise God and celebrate that we complement each other. I praise God that I have someone in Carolyn who thinks about details because I don't. But she could, uh, as the, the expression is, lose the forest for the trees. She could be so focused on the details to lose the big picture. So we complement each other in those ways and a lot of other ways too. And every marriage is like this. We could look at our differences and groan or look at our differences and praise God. Now go back to that young couple, what the one where she said, I wish he would get worked up about something. I let them talk through this a little bit and then I said, you know, maybe you should think about it this way. Someday things are gonna be upside down and in your emotional world, as much as you have extremes in your emotional life, Things will be so upside down and backwards and inside out, you won't know what's up and down. Things are gonna be hard. And in that moment, praise God for Adam, who is going to be steady as a rock for you. In the midst of the storm, steady. Rather than seeing it as a problem, 
see it as something to celebrate, the differences within the body. Now, on the flip side of this is the second lie. I should not have to change to make our marriage better. I should not have to change to make our marriage better. For this, I want to look at our other reading today from Ephesians chapter 5. I want to read just a few of the verses. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Now, a quick story. Some of you may have heard me say this before. Uh, if you've ever done premarital counseling with me, uh, you've heard me talk about this. Very first time I did a wedding. I graduated seminary in 2002, uh, started my new job as a pastor in August 20, uh, 2002. And um, the next month or a month after, I had a couple come to me and said they want to get married in the spring. And so it's, okay, let's do premarital counseling. And we open up, I want to open up the Bible and look at what God's design is for marriage. And we looked first at these verses, Ephesians chapter 5. And what I always do is I have a husband and wife sit in front of me and I have her read those verses that say, wives submit to your husbands as to the Lord. And I have the husband to be read the verses about husbands love your wives. And uh, we get done with that. He reads the latter part of those verses. And uh, we all three have Bibles out in front of us. And she has her Bible in her hand. And she literally, this is what she did. She said, now pastor, she slams her Bible shut, puts it on her lap. Pastor, this is where I have a real problem with this. Like, this is my first wedding. Why are you getting mad at me? I didn't say it. You know, and uh, I said, well, what do you mean? What, what problem do you have? And she said, why do I have to submit? And all he has to do is love. And I said, oh, okay, I got, to, I got the problem. I, I see your objection to this, but hear me out. I told her, hear me out. Because actually, it's the husband who gets the raw end of the deal on this one. She, she laughed too. Yeah, uh, she giggled at that. I said, just trust me for just, we'll look at this if you really understand. And I, when we put Ephesians 5 up on the screen tonight, I, I actually saw some of you going, oh. <laughs> you know, like almost rolling your eyes, like, okay, here we go. Uh, but if you actually understand this passage right, rightly, in, in the spirit in which Paul gives it, I think that it's a much more beautiful thing than we assume on a service. So Paul says, wives, submit to your husbands. Husbands, love your wives. But I don't think, it, we, you know, submit has a very negative connotation in our culture. Like, oh, I have to obey everything that you say. No, 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 that's not what submit means here. I'm certain that Paul is using submit and love and also some other verbs along the way as virtual synonyms. Like he's using them interchangeably. That it's not just wives submitting. It's not just husbands loving. And I'll use as evidence for this, go all the way back to Ephesians chapter five, verse one. So you'd have to back up several verses. If you had a Bible in front of you, you could look at this right now in Ephesians chapter five. 
very first verse of this chapter, Paul says, be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children and live a life of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. Now, Paul right here is not, he's not even talking about marriage. He's talking to all Christians. He's talking to everyone, no matter what relationship we have with other people, he's telling us, be imitators of God. And how are you an imitator of God? Well, one of the ways that you imitate God is living a life of love, just as Christ loved the church. How did Christ love the church? He gave himself up for her. Now, later in chapter five, verse 25, he's going to say, husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church. But now he's saying this to everybody. So wives, they're loving their husbands as Christ loved the church. Husbands loving their wives just as Christ loved the church, right? Everybody being imitators of God. And then part of this uh, imitating God's life and living a life of love is submitting to one another. So verse 21, which is actually the first verse that we had tonight, uh, which is right before it says, wives submit to your husbands. Paul, again, he's not even talking about husbands' wives yet. You'll get to that in a second, but he's talking to everybody. Submit to one another. And what, that, what does it mean to submit? Well, to submit means that I am going to place someone else above me. Positionally, if I'm a boss and I have employees, I will put my employees above me. If I am a father and I have children, I will put my children and their needs before me. If I have a neighbor, then I put my neighbor ahead of me. Submitting means putting yourself below others and putting them ahead. It's not meaning think less of yourself, but thinking of others more. That's what it means to submit. And then he says, do this out of reverence for Christ because I see Christ in other people, I'm gonna submit to them. I'm gonna put myself below them and put them above me. And that's, that's what it means to submit. And so when he says, wives submit to your husbands, husbands love your wives, he doesn't just say love your wives, period, right? He says, husbands love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. So really, I, I told this young lady who was gonna get married and she objected and I said, open up your Bible again, we'll look at this. And I, so I explained what it means to love. It's not just to have happy feelings for the other person. Love just as Christ loved the church. And how did he love the church? He died for her. So I looked at her and I said, see, really, you just have to submit. He has to die. But again, it's, it's all of us mutually loving, serving, submitting to one another. And that really is the bottom line, right? Bottom line is that in all of this, both husband and wife are submitting to one another, loving each other, serving other above self. That's the key, serving other above self. So I very often... I mean, in fact, every single time I get together with a husband and wife-to-be doing premarital counseling, we look at Ephesians 5, and then we look at the very next book of the Bible, which is Philippians in chapter 2. In Philippians chapter 2, Paul says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. He's not talking about husbands and wives here. He's talking about everybody. 
So you could be a young person, you could be an older person, you could be widowed, you could be single, you could be married, you could be a neighbor, you could be a coworker, a classmate, whatever your station in life, wherever you have a relationship with another person, you're called to do this. Nothing out of selfish ambition, but in humility, consider others better than yourself. Each of you should look not to your own interests, but to the interests of others. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. What is Christ's attitude? Well, Jesus himself said this in Matthew chapter 20. He said, the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom. That's the attitude of Christ. And Paul goes on to say, your attitude should be the same as Christ, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be held on to for his own advantage, but he made himself nothing. He took on the very nature of a servant. He became, uh, he became like a man and became obedient to death on a cross. That's what Christ does. So Christ is God overall, he's head overall, and what does he do with his headship? He becomes a servant. He becomes a servant. He puts everybody else above him. That's what husbands are called to do. That's what wives are called to do. Now, what does it mean to serve? How do I serve? And by the way, every single time I do a wedding, as soon as a couple comes in, one of the first things I say to them, and if you've ever done premarital counseling with me, you can tell it's not a lie. Um, I tell them as soon as they walk in, I said, okay, we're gonna plan your wedding, right? Yes, we're gonna plan our wedding. I said, don't do it. That's, that's what I tell them. Do not get married. Don't get married unless you are ready to look at this other person and say, I'm ready to serve you for the rest of my life. Because that's what it's gonna take. That other person is not always gonna make you happy. In fact, sometimes they're really gonna frustrate you and make you furious. And still in that moment, you still serve them. I'm ready to look at you and serve you for the rest of my life. If you're ready to say that, get married. If not, walk away <laughs> before the marriage, okay? There's a book that was written to man, must be almost 30 years ago now, Five Love Languages. You've heard about it? Gary Chapman, Five Love Languages. Some people have the language of physical touch. Some people have the, the language of words of affirmation. Some people have the language of gifts or acts of service. Quality time, those are five love languages. And what I find almost always when I talk about this with couples is that they are not the same. Husband and wife getting ready to get married, one of them really speaks the language of love in quality time. You spend quality time with me, it's like filling up my love tank. Another person is acts of service. If you do something without me asking, oh, it's like filling me up with love, okay? So that the speaking languages of love. How am I gonna serve? How am I going to put my wife above me? One way, just one simple way, is by recognizing her way of doing things, her way of expressing love, her way of receiving love. And even though that's different than my way, my wife loves, if I do something without her asking, and show this act of service to her, she is, she's willing to do anything, right? That, that's her language of love. 
If you, if you speak words of affirmation to me and you make me feel like an important person, great. But, you know, I need to serve my wife by giving in a way that she needs to receive love. Doing some things, sometimes thinking about the details when I don't want to. That I need to change in order to, I need to take the initiative. And my wife, the same thing. She needs to take the initiative. I need to take the initiative. And either way, we're serving each other. And instead of competing, instead of trying to be right all the time, instead of trying to criticize because my wife doesn't do things the way I do them and her criticizing me, instead, we're celebrating each other. We're serving each other. We're lifting each other up. And this is how God builds marriages to be beautiful things. But not just marriages, right? Every single relationship you're in. You think about how you can serve your neighbor, serve your siblings, serve your children, serve your classmates, whatever that is. That's what God does. That's his model for us. Not waiting for us to come to him, but laying down his life while we're still sinners, Christ died for us. This is, this is what he does and what he calls us to do likewise. So your spouse is not like you. Praise God for that, not criticizing it. And recognize you could change a little bit in your relationship, right? Coming and serving your spouse, amen? Hey, sorry about all the technical glitches tonight. I mean, we kind of went a little long because of that, but hey, let's celebrate the Lord and uh, get it all out. Praise God for that. Band's coming back up. We're, um, we're gonna sing another song while we're taking our offering. Remember our third week offering, our loose plate offering is going to PLI this weekend. Um, and let me just say a word of thanks to all of you who are giving, uh, not just to PLI, but to us here at Faith and allowing us to do the ministry of of um, reconciliation with Christ and God as we proclaim the gospel of Jesus um, in all ways.
invite you to stand as we join together in prayer. Part of my own heart, whatever befall, still be my vision. You, O God, are ruler of all. Whatever it is that we are experiencing this life, the joys, the frustrations, the sadness and the mourning and this, the pain, whatever it is, we pray that you would lead us, that you would be our guide. We pray for those who are sick and suffering today, those who are dealing with health issues, those who are battling depression, those who are battling addiction, those who are suffering from violence uh, brought upon them. God, we pray that you would bring strength and healing, and most especially faith to trust in you at all times. For those who are mourning, pray for those who's, who've lost a loved one recently, including Gary Mulherin at the passing of his Aunt Anne. We pray for all marriages, that husbands and wives would be servants for one another that they would learn the spirit of Christ, which, Lord, you modeled for us in giving of yourself. And though you had every right to demand praise and honor from your creation, you became your, your creation's servant, lifting us above yourself to make us new, to rescue us by dying on a cross. So we pray that we would follow likewise and be servants one to another. God, we also pray for those that are grieving marriages that have ended. We pray that you would give them comfort and free them from shame and, and guilt. We pray for those who are grieving marriages longed for, but remaining single. 
We pray for those who choose to live the the single life and celebrate that, that calling upon their lives. And in every relationship, we pray that we would have servant hearts, would lead others by the example of Christ and dying to ourselves, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. We pray for those who are celebrating anniversaries, including Tom and Lois Murtis at 40 years together, and Brian and Jackie Borkhart who are celebrating 42 years of marriage. God, we pray for the newly baptized, including Bowen Mikesell, who will be baptized after our late service at Faith this weekend. Pray for all those who are coming to to your table of mercy to receive the body and blood of Christ in Holy Communion. We pray that we would have repentant hearts that take hold of the promise that you have for us in Jesus that we are made new, that your blood is covered over us, that we are rescued from death and sin. All these prayers, Lord, we bring to your throne of grace, trusting that you hear us for Christ's sake. And we pray as he taught us, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Our Lord Jesus Christ, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it, gave it to his disciples and said, take and eat. This is my body which is given for you, do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you. This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for you for the forgiveness of all of your sins. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. I invite you now to join in a time of fellowship, greet one another in the Lord, share God's peace with one another.
May this body and blood of our Lord Jesus continue to strengthen you in faith and know that you're forgiven. Go in peace. Amen. Please stand. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord look upon you with his favor and give you his peace. And all God's people say, Amen.
So remember your people, 